The text for today is the gospel lesson, especially these words. If the Son has set you free, you shall be free indeed. Dear friends in Christ, I could almost feel like it happened last night, but it happened a number of years ago, where in the middle of the night, I was awakened by my cell phone ringing, and there was a voice, a man's voice on the other end that said something like this. Pastor, my wife went into early labor this afternoon, and our baby has been born, but he is not doing very well. We're not sure he's going to live. Could you come over to the hospital and baptize him? We have named him Matthew. We'd rather be awakened to a happy tune, to a man's voice saying, Pastor, we're so excited that Matthew has been born and he's doing wonderful, but we wanted you to know so you could include him in your prayers. But instead, it was a bad news. It was something that came out of the blue to this married couple, and they needed to talk about baptism. That was part of their stewardship life, to take everything in life that happens and make sure it's being done to God's purposes and in God's name. God gave us this child. Now we need to put him into God's hands, they said. I went to the hospital and found the family in the NICU, the neonatal intensive care unit. I asked the nurse for some water, and she gave me a syringe with sterile water in it. Putting my hand through the opening in the incubator, I pressed the syringe so that three drops of water fell on Matthew's forehead. His forehead was so dry that it was each drop made a little circle on his forehead. It was almost like water going into a blotter. At that time, while I pressed the syringe for the three drops of water, I said these words, words that you all know. I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We talked some more. We had a prayer. We read scripture. We had the Lord's Prayer and after a benediction. As I was leaving, I noticed that those three drops of water still had made a mark on Matthew's head. Matthew lived, and when he was well enough, the parents brought him into the church, not to rebaptize him, but to celebrate his entrance into God's family through God's grace of baptism. Maybe today when you get home, you could take a magic marker and put three dots on your head to say, I remember my baptism. Maybe you don't. Maybe you're just a little child. But maybe you need to think through, what does it mean that God's grace touched your life at that early age? And if you were baptized as an adult, what does it mean for you now <clears throat> as you look back that water and the word brought you into God's kingdom anew and made you a steward of all of God's blessings for life and for eternity. We are saved by grace. We are freed to serve. We are called to commitment in our baptism. Today we celebrate another birth and another baptism, that of Martin Luther, who was born on November 10th, 1483, the firstborn son of Hans and Margaret Luther. And he was baptized the very next day that next day was St. Martin of Tours Day, and that's how Martin Luther got his first name, Martin. His parents wanted him to be a lawyer because he was so smart, but he wanted to be a monk, and so he entered a monastery. 
He fought with the thought of facing God alone as a sinner. How can I stand in the presence of God with who I am? He thought of himself as being frightened in the presence of God and fearful of his presence. A lot of masks will be worn by kids this week, and they'll come to your door and talk to you about trick-or-treating. But before God, all of our masks come off, and in our reality, we stand alone before him. As was read in the epistle lesson before, Paul says, there is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The struggle that Luther had with his faith brings to us the three great alones or solas of the Reformation. Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone. Sola Fide, Faith alone. Sola Gratia, Grace alone. If there is any value in recounting the Reformation, it's the joy of knowing that we are saved by grace alone, by faith alone, and everything we need to know about God or about how we live as God's stewards in life is there in Scripture alone. Luther wanted to be free, free from sin and death and even Satan himself, free to serve. But how could he as a child of Satan, as he called himself at times, as well as a child of God? At the Diet of Worms, he was asked to recant all that he had said about the Roman Catholic Church. But he said this, I am captive to the word of God. Here I must stand. I cannot do otherwise. God help me. As a captive to the word of God, are you living that way day by day? Is your faith renewed every day as you are captive to that very word of God? Are we willing to take a stand on the doctrines of Scripture and say to the world, this is God's revelation to us? Are we willing to ask God for guidance as St. John tries to live out the Great Commission? How can I be accountable to God this day and every day? Are we willing to take stewardship seriously? Stewardship is often thought to be just about money, but it's more than that. Yes, we are going to ask you to fill out a pledge card in a few moments, and then that deals with money. But here is our church's definition of what stewardship is. Let's read it together. Christian stewardship is the free and joyous activity of the child of God and God's family, the church, in managing all of life and life's resources for God's purposes. It's free and joyous, whatever you do. It's part of who we are. It's managing all of life and all of life's resources, not for our purpose, but for God's purposes. It's free and joy joyous. Luther needed that day by day to find that joy. He wanted his own day of independence, <coughs> but he knew he was a captive, a prisoner of his own personal prison. The monk felt obligated to spend entire weeks without food, without even speaking to anybody else until he became free, free to serve and give his life to God's purposes. And that happened all by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Time is another gift from God. 
It's part of our life and all of life's gift of time, and we need to use it for God's purposes. <coughs> that doesn't mean that you spend all day in church, but it is God, if God is God, even in our thoughts, as we plan our day's schedule, do we spend it in a fruitful way or a wasteful way, that gift of time? Ask yourself <coughs> when you get up in the morning, how do I use this gift of time and use it for God's purposes. Maybe there's a special project for you to do. Maybe you want to do your schedule, but God says, how about inserting this in your schedule? It's from me. It means, of course, that you and God have to be communicating on the same wavelength in order to receive that message and then put it into practice. There was a college professor who was trying to get his class to deny the existence of God. And so he always debunked that as he came into class. And one day, he declared to his class, I'm going to prove to you all that there is no God. He looked up towards the ceiling and said, so God, if you are there, if you exist, knock me off this platform. You have 15 minutes. <coughs> The student watched their watches as time was going by. 13 minutes, 14 minutes, 14 minutes and 30 seconds, and the professor was still standing. He said at that time, okay, God, you've only got 30 seconds left. Then the side door of the classroom opened and in came running a big six foot three, 300 pound lineman from their football team and he knocked the professor off the platform. What are you doing, the professor asked. The football player said, I was in the hallway and heard you taunting God, but God told me, I'm really busy. Would you please take care of this for me? I said I would, and the rest is history. The right time and the right place. God talking to him and him using time for the bidding of God. Talents. Our talents and their usage is stewardship also. You'll learn more in the next couple of months all the ministries that go on here at St. John's. And in January, probably late January, you'll be asked to make another pledge. A pledge of how you're going to be involved in kingdom work here. How the Holy Spirit is going to guide and direct you. <clears throat> Not just to attend church, but to be part of sharing the gospel with the community and with the world around us. You'll need to respond with another pledge at that time. But if God asks you to do something, you go back to your baptism and say, that's where God called me. That's where I need to respond to his love and grace in Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says, the harvest is ready but there aren't enough workers. Become in your, heart, in your mind a worker for God in his kingdom to do his will. Do we have a passion for those who are being lost, who don't know Christ? And would we be willing to know more about how we share our faith and give it away to others who don't know it? And yes, we talk about money as a gift from God also. What do we do with it? First of all, we need to remember that it and all we have and are belong to God. 
What is the, your response back to God, who is the owner of it all? It came out recently in a Pew study that the average American gives less than 2% of their income to churches or charities. Your leadership met last Sunday for a, a meal and a meeting, and your leadership here at St. John's has a gift ratio of 9.75%, almost a tithe for everyone. Where are we in our tithing? Do we give 10% to the Lord? Can we take a step towards tithing today? What would be the motive? It starts with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says to the church at Corinth, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Wow, he rich and me poor, and then suddenly, by the grace of God, me rich and he is poor. As, <coughs> as Jesus Christ left heaven and came down to earth, taking on our flesh, willing to go to a cross to die for our sins, willing to bring all of the gifts of his redeeming love to bear in our life. You know that grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. On Friday, I opened the mail and there was a check in one of the envelopes for $15,000 addressed to me. It was from one of my relatives who was the executor of a state of one of our first cousins and that first cousin had left all of his first cousin's $15,000 in his will. That was a surprise in itself. But my first thought was not how do I spend that $15,000, but what do I do with $1,500? For my wife and I, all of our married life and all of my life before that are tithers. We give the first 10% of anything that we get to the Lord. What was I going to do with that first $1,500? The deceased's mother was his fond supporter of the Lutheran Hour. And that was my first thought, to give it to the Lutheran Hour, to bring the nations to Christ and bring the people to the church, as its, its motto. But I know that because I would do that not to please God in order that he might love me, but rather because he loves me with all of my faults and all of my sins and all of my failures. That's his grace for me and that's his grace for you. And that love will never go away. Do we find it hard to love God who gives us everything that we are and have? We need to give back and manage life and all of, know that all of God, all of life's resources are used for God's purposes. I pray that you would prayerfully consider taking a step up in your stewardship life and your pledge today and increase in your giving pattern. Luther once said this, if one can earn the forgiveness of sins and everlasting life through one's own efforts, to what purpose was Christ born? What was the purpose of his suffering and death, his resurrection, and his victory over sin, death, and the devil. If men may overcome these evils by their own endeavors, tongue cannot express, 
nor heart conceive what a terrible thing it is to make Christ worthless. So we've got some choices to make. Where does Christ fit into our life? How are we stewards with all of life and its resources so that we use it for God's purposes? There's a funny story that talks about two men being shipwrecked and being isolated on a desert island. And one is very unworried about the future. The other is pacing back and forth on the beach, looking for a ship to rescue them. And the one who's just taking a, a, a little suntan time was very calm, cool, and collected. The other one asked him, aren't you afraid that we're going to die, that no one's going to come and rescue us? And the man who was calm and cool said, I earn over $200,000 a year, and I tithe at my church. My pastor will find me. <laughs> we are free to serve because of Jesus Christ. I know there are congregations who give each baptized child a little stole. Your pastors and I are wearing stoles. The choir has kind of a stole. Your bells have kind of a stole on. And that says what? It's a symbol that we are servants of God first, and then servants to and for each other. So maybe you think of yourself, besides the three dots on your forehead, think of yourself as receiving a stole anew today. And maybe even make one for yourself that even if you wear it just in the shower, it might be okay to remind you of whose you are and who loves you dearly. One of my favorite Beanie Babies. What's its name? Choir, you can't answer. Nobody remembers when I brought it last year? What is the name? Grace. All of you ought to go online and see if you can buy one and put it at the center of your table. But more important, put grace, the grace of God in Jesus Christ, in the center of your life. God gives us a job to do. What can we do to make sure all of our life and all of our management of life and its resources, how can we use it together for God's purposes as God's servant and your servant, Ephesians 2, 8 to 10 could be a real help for us today. And I would hope that besides memorizing that little blue part of the epistle reading, you would have this memorized and say it every day. Write it on a three by five card and then put it somewhere where you would try to memorize it or read through it a number of times a day and I'm sure it'll come and live in your heart. Let's read it together. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before him, that we should walk in them. We are to walk in good works. 
And that all comes because we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's grace alone. It's faith alone. It's serving God alone. It's being freed up by the Son of God himself so that we can do his will and follow his word in our life. There's a primitive tribe in the middle of South Africa where anthropologists have studied and learned that the most important person of that tribe is what, he call, what they call the keeper of the flame. Fire is precious in the rainforest, and if it goes out, it could take days or even weeks and even months to go get to another village to bring fire back. And so the most important person is a keeper of the flame. As we look at God's grace in Jesus Christ, you as individuals and corporately as a congregation are keepers of the flame of the light of God's love for you. You support all kinds of things in which the flame is shared as you spread the gospel message. You are free to love and to serve, to pray, to feed, to share. You are free to forgive and be forgiven and to know how much God loves you. So you are consecrated, separated from sin in order that you might serve, which leads to being all in, totally committed to a God who is totally committed to you. You enable St. John's to be not just a keeper of the light, but to shine as God's light in the world. So remember God's grace. Remember three drops of water on your forehead. Remember to wear your stole and to say to God, by the grace of God, I will use all of life and its resources so I can do your purposes. May God bless your energy and your effort in his name. Amen.